This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today on episode seven of season three. Our kids were getting ready to graduate from high school and, and talking about wanting to come back to the farm. And anyone in agriculture knows, you know, there's only so many acres, only so many cows you can put on those acres or, or so much crop. And we were supporting one family with that. So then the question became, how do we bring these two kids back and support two more families? And we knew that part of that was going to have to be off farm income. But we wanted to start thinking about, you know, what could we do with what we have to maybe make it so that the, the farm could be better able to support all three families. Shauna and Terry Farver from Farver Farms in Scobie, Montana, join the show. They're going to share about their journey, not only in farming lentils, but also building their own farmer direct brand of lentil snacks and mixes. If you've ever thought that direct-to-consumer farm businesses are only for those located close to urban centers, this episode might challenge that thinking a little bit. Scobie, Montana is considered the second most middle-of-nowhere town in America. And that's where Terry grew up on the farm and where he and Shauna have built their farm and business since they got married in 1997. The Farvers sell lentil crunchers, which is a snack food as well as lentil-based cooking and baking mixes. This is a great story of finding creative ways to add value to a pulse crop marketing plan. As you're about to hear, it's no easy undertaking, but it can be done. The first attempts to grow lentils clear back in the 1970s didn't turn out so well for the Farvers, but Terry said they gave it another try in the 90s and have been growing them ever since. Back in 1978, so I'd have been six years old, my dad and his brother were farming together and they tried lentils. and. I don't remember if it was one load or one year, they got them, there was a local gentleman that cleaned them, packed them into paper bags, 50-pound paper bags, and they were shipped back to eastern North Dakota over by Grand Fork somewhere. And I think they did one year like that, and it was successful. The following year, they did that. They sent one load over. They got a notice in the mail that that company they were dealing with went bankrupt. And the second load of lentils stayed in our Quonset till about 1994, actually. The first summer I was home, I was so sick and tired of dealing with these stupid bagged up lentils that we grew them. And dad kind of, he wasn't a fan for a while. Uh, it took a couple more years. So we've been growing lentils since the mid to late 90s as they've been in our rotation to some degree. I don't know. It wasn't wheat. It wasn't easy. So he wasn't a real fan, but we ended up, you know, getting them kind of figured out how to grow them and raise them a little easier. And, and they've been in the rotation ever since. So Terry and Shauna stuck with the lentils, not realizing at that time that they would someday build a food brand around them. At that point, they said they were just glad to have them as part of the rotation, in particular for help with weed management. It's a good rotation. It's a great rotation crop for, yeah. for disease and, and different weeds. When we really started using lentils as a good rotation, wild oats became a real problem in our spring wheat crop. And they didn't really have a good chemical yet for getting wild oats, which is a grass, out of wheat, which is a grass. And growing a legume, which is a, a legume, is a lentil, they had a chemical that was very inexpensive and worked really well. So you go in on your wheat ground that has bad wild oats. You grow legume or lentils and you spray this chemical and all your wild oats are gone. And it does a really nice job. It's a really good rotation. And since then, 
the chemical companies have, you know, put more money into it and they've got a better chemical for, for getting wild oats and pigeon grass out of the wheat crop. But, you know, at, at the start, it was a really good rotation just because of weeds. Shauna has a history of working with value-added agriculture. So when she began to think about how the farm could potentially support her grown children who might want to return someday, an idea was born. So we were looking for something to provide a little extra income on the farm. And I, I sort of am a value-added girl from way back. I worked for the Montana Ag Innovation Center, and that has morphed into the food and ag development centers that are located throughout the state now that assist with value-added agriculture and usually particularly food projects. So I had worked for them. And then fast forward, our kids were getting ready to graduate from high school and, and talking about wanting to come back to the farm. And anyone in agriculture knows, you know, there's only so many acres, only so many cows you can put on those acres or, or so much crop. And we were supporting one family with that. So then the question became, how do we bring these two kids back and support two more families? And we knew that part of that was going to have to be off farm income. But we wanted to start thinking about, you know, what could we do with what we have to maybe make it so that the, the farm could be better able to support all three families. So we looked at a lot of things. We looked at agritourism. We looked at, uh, I, I can't even think of all of the things that we went through, just, you know, trying to decide how, how, do we, how do we put this all together. And I kept coming back to food. My grandma was a good cook and, and she taught me from a really young age that we feed people and we feed them often and we feed them well. So I kept coming back to food. About the same time, I went to a, a Women's Stepping Forward for Agriculture Convention, which is a great convention they have every year here in Montana, and listened to a speaker who talked about a food product they had developed from their farm. And then they brought that as a, a fundraising program. And it's still one that's in existence today. It's a cookie dough fundraiser. And so we started thinking, well, what, what could we do along those lines? And um, lentils were sort of the, the up-and-comer then. There was a lot of talk about lentils. There was a lot of support for lentils. We knew we could grow them, and we knew that there were a lot of areas that couldn't. So as you know, northeast Montana, northwest North Dakota were kind of becoming the premier lentil acres in the nation. And, and so we thought, well, let's, let's look at lentils. We originally started with some dry mixes, so uh, like an adult hamburger helper, and you'd have the dry mix and then add ingredients to it at home to make uh, a lentil chili or a, you know, a spicy lentil chicken salad. And somewhere along the line, the lentil crunchers, I, I think we started thinking about, well, we've seen puffed wheat, we've seen puffed corn, what about uh, some type of puffed lentil product? And so we started working on that. At some point, we connected with uh, the folks at Big Sandy Organics in Big Sandy, who are making at the time a crackling kamut, uh, a crunchy ancient wheat variety. And um, he said, well, why don't you bring the lentils over? Let's see if we can do something similar. And so I did. And um, so they cook our lentils for us in Big Sandy. And then we bring them back to our plant uh, where we season them and package them and ship them out. So. It was quite the process. These little guys have some miles on them by the time they reach the bag and reach the consumer because they actually go from us here in Scobie to Plentywood where they're cleaned, identity preservation cleaned for us and bagged. Um, and we bring them back to Scobie and store them until they're ready for them in Big Sandy. We take them all the way out to Big Sandy where they cook them. Then we bring them back to Scobie to package and ship them out. 
To give you a bit of an idea here, that's 45 miles to Plentywood, and then they come back, and then 280 miles to Big Sandy. This lack of local infrastructure, especially in a rural environment like Scobie, is a challenge, and we'll actually revisit that again at the end of today's episode. These lentil crunchers, though, are fantastic. I ordered some myself, and my best attempt to describe them in audio form is sort of like a small popcorn kernel that's seasoned, but much easier to crunch than a popcorn kernel, obviously. But they are delicious. It wasn't always a no-brainer, though, initially. Terry especially took some convincing that all of this would end up being worth all of the time, effort, and investment. We had actually tried packaging beef before and selling that individually by the cut and doing some shipping. One of the things we ran into there, and I think that we always run into, and and again was the concern here, is logistics, because we live in the middle of nowhere. So having to take those beef when we were talking about that so far away to have them processed. And as we started talking about, you know, what's it going to take to put these lentils together? I, I, I think that was probably the number one reservation. And then time is always an issue. You know, we, we farm and ranch. And at the time, I also had a job in town. And so, you know, how, how many hours are there in a day? But those are all things that can be worked through. Well, and, and equipment costs. So we didn't know anything about this big Sandy or well, at the time they were crackling Kamut just by themselves. They were cooking this product. Well, I think, you know, just the equipment itself, you're looking at at least a $100,000 investment to be able to cook these lentils and, you know, get them through the process. And we didn't have that sitting around. So when she went and to, I think was that at the women stepping forward, you met somebody or well, one of the value added shows, she met them and that was a huge hurdle that, well, Hey, we can cook them for you. And then, you know, we can do our thing by hand. I don't with Shauna and then she's got an employee. They do all the rest of the packaging themselves. And Right now, you can do that by hand, you know, down the road. We definitely want to get to a packaging machine, but just the expense there. And yes, the logistics of moving product in and out of here is not always easy. They they will not guarantee next day air out of Scobie, Montana to anywhere in the United States. Or in, actually. You can't ship overnight into Scobie either. So after much planning and deliberation, Shauna and Terry decided to make a go of this lentil-based food business. And like any new ventures, they had to start with what they had and sort of figure it out on the fly to get the business established. So we started first with the mixes. So we, we had the lentils, we were able to get them cleaned, and, and we just mixed some spices. I actually went online to Uline and, and found some packaging equipment and some sealing equipment. and and made a pretty low investment. And we leased some space in a supper club here in town who was only open at night. And so during the day, I had this little tote full of my spices and some lentils and some labels and some bags, printed the labels myself on a printer and would roll that tote into the kitchen at the supper club during the day to put these together and then pack it all up and roll it back to the storage room at night just to get an idea if it was something people were going to be interested in, if it was something we wanted to continue with. And we found out that, that yes, there was some interest and that leasing the space and rolling around with my little tote was not going to be sustainable long term. So then we got with our county sanitarian and um, started visiting with them and the folks at the state as well about, okay, if we're going to put together our own 
area, our own facility. How does that look? And and we got a ton of help from state agencies, from our county sanitarian, from Extension. Who Department else? of Ag. Yeah, the Department of Ag has, was great. Lake County CDC out in Ronan, um, they have a, a processing center there. They were great about sharing information with us. So just kind of started pulling all these resources together, actually rented some space in town then, renovated, I think it was an old gas station actually, or a repair shop. And, and we renovated the office area of that and upped our footprint just a little and operated from there for about a year, I think, before we took the next step then. And that next step, once they started gaining some traction, was to increase their capacity so they could meet the demand that they were creating. They also increased the number of products they were offering. We purchased our own building and renovated that as well. So then I, I think we about tripled maybe our, our square footage when we went to that next building, which was an old restaurant. So it was set up pretty well. Pretty well, yeah. We, we had to do some, some renovations there. But So then we were able to do some things. We added some storage bins. We utilized a, a growth for agriculture grant here in Montana, there were, there were, and still are a lot of grant opportunities for value-added agriculture projects. So uh, we utilized that to pick up some bigger, some more equipment, brought an employee on board. And um, we were in that building for a couple of years, maybe. Yeah. Year and a half. So of those products that they did, she had a chocolate fudge lentil brownie, which doesn't sound like it'd be very good. It is. The lemon brownies, same, you know, whatever, lemon flour, I don't lemon know what lentil you put bars. <laughs> Lemon lentil bars, very good. And uh, the lentil stew, the lentil chili, same thing. Really enjoy that one. What other mixes do you, I can't remember what you, yeah, what was we, your basic mixes to start we, with? We have about seven, seven different mixes that we have as part of our, our lineup. So that gives you an idea of the type of products that they sell. But what about the type of lentils that they're growing for these food products? Well, it turns out that the small green Viceroy lentils that they were already growing were the perfect variety for what they needed. So we grow, Terry, what kind of lentils? Mm -hmm. They're a Viceroy. There's three different kinds of lentils. There's a large, which is a, what they call a layered type. They're a pretty good size. They're about the size of a pea, only they're just a flat disc. Then there's the Richly, which is a medium green. And that's the most common lentil grown in the United States is a richly. And then we grow uh, what they call an Eston type, which is a small green, but the variety we, we use is a Viceroy. And we switched to that before we got into food because everybody's growing richly. So that market gets saturated real quickly. I was growing large greens, but the processor that we were dealing with on a commercial basis was getting out of the large green. And he recommended go to the small green. They are a little bit of premium when you sell. So that's why we went to small greens. And cooking wise, I think, don't they work out better for you, Shauna? They cook a little easier because they're smaller. They do. So then as we got into the mixes and started thinking about that, those those small viceroys cook up quickly. So, you know, for somebody who's thinking about coming home from work and needing to put a meal together quickly with these meal kits. They could be 30 minutes in and done, really, with those small greens. And then when we started cooking for the lentil crunchers, they worked really well for that also. So we, we stuck with them. Yeah, that was a little bit of a, a lucky accident. We were growing the small greens, 
beforehand before and then they just work out so nicely for cooking where a, a large green in contrast they take a lot longer to cook if you're trying to boil them and because lentils are extremely hard i don't know if you've ever seen one or tried one but they're extremely <laughs> yeah, hard yes. and if they're not cooked properly they're pretty chewy and a small green takes about 10 minutes and a large green might take a half hour to cook and that was kind of the the goal was you know a, a meal for a family, a quick, easy meal when they get home to cook it up. If mom's cooking for an hour versus a half hour, it's not quite as easy to advertise that or what, you know, not as advantageous to the family. I wonder though, now that the Farvers are interacting regularly with the people who are eating their lentils as they try to grow this food company, has it led them to any changes that they've made in how they grow the lentils themselves? A lot of times when producers are growing lentils, they do what's called desiccating at the end of the season because they're an indeterminate crop. So they will continue to grow as long as the conditions are favorable. And sometimes in these places where we get maybe late season moisture, we'll think the crop is done and we'll get a little late season moisture and it will take off again. We swath our lentils. So there's two ways then to end that plant's life cycle. You can either desiccate, which is by spraying, or you can swath it. And so we started swathing them I think largely that was that was a labor issue, really. And we wanted to get away from the chemical a little bit. But really, it was a labor issue. So the kids were in high school at that point, and they liked to run the swather. And then if you swath it into rows, just like hay windrows, then you come back with what's called a pickup header. Yeah, a pickup header is only about 12 feet wide, but you're picking up a swath that's probably 30 feet wide. And not to be blunt, but any monkey can run a combine. <laughs> with a pickup header on it, a flex header, which came out of, you know, soybeans country. They're very expensive and they're not easy to run. They're tedious. And by the end of the day, you're exhausted. And we've found that swathing is a lot easier on the nerves. And when you go to combine, you can go five miles an hour and just zip right down the row and chew that crop right through where a flex head, you're struggling to go three and a half miles an hour. And so there's economic and there's, I, I wasn't a big fan of the, of the desiccation and it works out economically better to swath and it's a lot safer. And there's getting to more, be more consumers want to know, was there chemical on these lentils? And we can say, no, we swath them and. Not in the end of the cycle anyway, we can yeah. say no. And I think that was really a personal choice for us. It's not that we're saying that that using the desiccation practice is a bad practice. Certainly, there's applications where it right. um, works better. There are operations that that that's really what they have to do. And, and we're not saying that's a bad product. We're just saying for us, it was a a better choice in the beginning, largely because of the labor pool. So so this monkey could operate the combine and be a little more helpful, <laughs> and the kids as well. And then really ended up just being a good choice as we got more into the food portion of it, because we'd be asked those questions. Were these lentils desiccated? And we could say, no, they were, they were swathed and picked up with a pickup header. So. The farmers are often asked if their lentils are organic. And while they do try to reduce their reliance on chemicals as much as possible, they don't feel like going fully organic is an option for them at this point, given their soil and weed pressure. This is one of the many areas of customer education that has to go into a product of this kind. You know, Tim, we have had to do a lot of education. And surprisingly, though, the education we've had to do is closer to home. 
So, you know, you would think where we're one of the premier lentil growing areas in the nation that people would be more familiar with lentils here. And that's not really the case. I had a friend tell me when we when we first started this, she said, you know, Shauna, people don't really eat lentils. And I said, well, I think they do. Maybe they don't hear, but but yeah, I think they do. And so really, we have found the farther we get away from our hometown, the more familiarity there is with lentils. But but still, definitely an education process. So when, when you say we have lentil crunchers, people will go, what is a lentil cruncher? And we have found the best way is really just to, to let them try it. So trade shows are really good to us to go to a trade show and let people sample the product. Or when we work with those small retailers who you know, have someone at the at the counter and, and is visiting with a customer who they see frequently and says, hey, try this new product. That really has been the best way for us to get people familiar with the product. Shauna mentioned trade shows have been really effective for them. There are numerous trade shows out there, and it's impossible for a new food business to go to all of them. But Shauna said there have been two shows that have really worked well for them, and they're both state-specific. You know, in the beginning, we had a lot of the small ones, a lot of the Christmas shows, a lot of the, you know, market shows, those kind of things. We don't do a lot of those anymore, largely because we have retailers in in many of those communities and we don't want to feel like we're competing with those retailers, you know, for selling a product at a show versus people being able to go get it at the retailer location, other than we're creating some awareness. Really anymore, the, the one show that we have stuck with um, well, there's two of them that have worked really well for us are, are the Maine and Montana Trade Show and the Montana Food Show. We've made some great connections there. We were sort of just getting to where we were ready to to take the crunchers on the road and maybe try some out-of-state trade shows when we ran into COVID. And so the shutdowns and the the trade shows that were canceled changed our plans a little bit. Once those are are live again, a lot of those have still not been rescheduled. We'll probably look at attending some more of those. But we have great help here on the farm, our son-in-law, actually, instead of me being Terry's right-hand man now, because I didn't do a very good job of it, our, our son-in-law now helps on the farm full-time. And so that has transitioned me to being in town most of the time now at the, at the facility. And I have some great people there. So if I need to step away for the trade show, that's something that, that works for us now. So as you just heard, the next generation is already returning now to the family business. And Shauna says that growing this value-added side of the farm has really been helpful in making room for them, just like they planned. Absolutely. And so it didn't look exactly like I thought it might. In the beginning, I guess in my head, I was thinking, well, we'd be growing more lentils and the value-added business would be paying the farm. And so they would be able to hire another employee. And really what that turned into was, yeah, me being able to step out of that role on the farm and move into that role in town so that that made room, you know, we needed to have someone else here helping on the farm. And so we have been able to bring our son-in-law in and create a space for him and, and a, a paycheck for him here on the farm. And then, like I said, I spend most of my time in town, although I sneak out of there to the farm as often as I can, get a little fresh air and some pictures. But then my daughter is also going to be joining me in town part-time here in the near future, I think. And our son is he goes to school in Dickinson right now. He's on a track scholarship, but he's really interested in the value-added part of it as well. And I think by the time he's ready to come back, we'll be ready for him. So yeah, it, it's progressed well. It's, it's working the way we hoped it would. 
Well, it is inspiring to hear from Shauna and Terry that this is all possible. I mean, it's by no means an easy path. The Farvers estimate that in a normal year, they're still selling less than 10% of their lentil production through this food business. But it's working and it's growing. Shauna said there still is one main challenge, though, that she sees for other aspiring value-added farmers out there. Infrastructure, I think, is probably your biggest barrier. I know that there's a group working on some infrastructure, particularly related to food production here in the eastern side of the state, and, and I'm anxious to see what happens there. That might make things a little easier, but I think definitely in rural areas, infrastructure is, is going to be your number one roadblock, and it doesn't mean it, it can't be overcome. It just takes a little creativity sometimes and the ability to just dig in and figure out what it's going to take. Well, big thank you to Shauna and Terry Farver from Farver Farms for sharing their experiences with us here on the show. You can learn more about them and pick up some lentil crunchers like I did, or maybe some mixes over at farverfarms.com. I'll include a link for that in the show notes to today's episode. If you're a subscriber to the Growing Pulse Crops podcast, you've got another great episode coming your way very soon with North Dakota State University Extension Agronomy Research Specialist, Steve Zwinger. When we had a pea variety that's prone to lodging, growing that with the oats made the oats, it was support for that. So it didn't lodge as much, which was made harvest much better. And then in turn, higher quality for the peas because they weren't lodged. And so we saw, we saw that. We also saw positive relationships, even with protein on the oats. Whenever peas were with the oats, the protein on the oats was significantly higher. So make sure you're subscribed to the show on your podcast platform of choice so you catch that upcoming episode. The Growing Pulse Crops podcast series is overseen by the Pulse Crops Working Group with funding from the North Central IPM Center, USDA NIFA, the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council, and the North Central Extension Risk Management Education Program. We're releasing these episodes two times per month throughout the growing season, and we want to make sure that this information stays relevant to you. So if you're finding it useful, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And feel free to tweet us by using the hashtag growingpulsecrops. We'll be back with another great episode in a couple weeks.